Welcome to the LSE Events Podcast by the London School of Economics and Political Science. Get ready to hear from some of the most influential international figures in the social sciences. Okay, hi everyone. Uh, welcome to the first event of the LSE Festival. Um, we're very excited to be hosting uh, two amazing writers. My name is Sara Salem. I'm an assistant professor in the sociology department here at LSE, and I'm co-organizing this event with Naitaha, who's also an assistant professor at LSE Sociology. And we're both really excited to be here to welcome Iman Marcel and Lola Olgani. So Iman Marcel is an Egyptian poet, essayist, translator, and literary scholar, and professor of Arabic language and literature at the University of Alberta, Canada. She's the author of five books of Arabic poetry, selections from which have been translated into numerous languages. She has also published How to Mend on Motherhood and Its Ghosts, um, published by Kaifata and Stern for Press in 2018, and in the footsteps of Inayat Zayat, published by Al Khotokam in 2019. Lola Alufemi is a Black feminist writer and Stuart Cole Foundation researcher from London based at the Center for Research and Education in Art and Media at the University of Westminster. Her work focuses on the uses of feminist imagination and its relationship to cultural production, political demands, and futurity. She is the author of Feminism Interrupted, Disrupting Power, published by Pluto Press in 2020, and Experiments in Imagining Otherwise by Hajar Press in 2021. So today we'll be discussing these two texts in particular, How to Mend Motherhood and Its Ghosts and Experiments in Imagining Otherwise, both of which explore a lot of different themes, in particular care, intimacy, and politics. These texts are exciting examples of experimental writing and publishing, demonstrating the power and the beauty of feminist writing in our current moment. And May and I have had many discussions about these incredible books, and it's really such an honor to, to be here having this conversation. Um, for those of us joining online, please do uh, put in your question via the Q&A feature at the bottom of your screen, and please include your name and affiliation. The event is being recorded and will hopefully be available as a podcast. So we're going to start by um, inviting both Ivan and Lola to speak a bit about their books and also perhaps to read parts of them. I think Lola will read a bit of her book and then we will kind of have a conversation about both of the texts. Thank you. Okay. Hello everybody. Uh, all right. Um, it's a very short book anyway. <laughs> so I think the, the question behind this book is pretty old. For me, um, I explored it in my early poems, but in a different way. I was more interested in the angle of uh, being a daughter who lost her mother in a very early age. And, and, and I tried to explore this idea of having a reference of motherhood or to deal with mothers around you as if they are, if they have their you know, um, guaranteed kindness to give you as if you are borrowing the feeling of being a daughter of um, a mother, any mother. Uh, but when I became a mother myself, the whole thing uh, changed. Um, actually, um, my experience with motherhood started with uh, feeling lonely. So I didn't know, no one told me that loneliness is associated with motherhood. Uh, I thought at the beginning, maybe because I'm an immigrant mother, giving uh, birth to myself, in Canada, uh, without uh, 
the, the rich oral traditions uh, and, and uh, language, even the Arabic language, where motherhood uh, that I know is, is based. Um, I thought that uh, it was too much institution um, uh, pushing me around uh, in every step of the way to the point of being terrified uh, of being a mother. Uh, but also it was um, uh, depression and it was uh, feeling guilty that you are not a good mother all the time. And I thought maybe because I'm a writer, so I'm not a good person anyway <laughs> to, to be part of the institution. <laughs> uh, but, but it turned out uh, uh, from so many experiences, uh, joining group for uh, women battling depression, um, new mothers battling depression and, and reading about it, that actually guilt, depression, and loneliness are very common, more than what I thought before becoming a mother. And here I started to be interested in literature that is exploring this. And this is really one of the lovely examples, a poem by Anna Swear, a Polish writer, a poet, who wrote, um, you, are, uh, you are not going to defeat me, I say. I won't be an egg which you uh, would crack in a hurry for the world. Um, a footbridge that you would uh, take on the way to your life. I will defend myself. So coming across a passage like this, I felt it talks about me. I, I understand. I mean, Anna Swear wrote this poem. 30 years, if you read her biography, after giving birth, and as if she needed 30 years to get the courage to say this, to think about maternity and motherhood as a crack from within. And this is the first metaphor that I had to uh, chase <laughs> in, in this short book. Uh, how can we see motherhood as a crack from within? Uh, so I read, uh, of course, uh, lots of literature. Um, to distinguish just between uh, two different types of motherhoods. I'm sure there are more, but this is what I at least explored in my uh, book. The motherhood of the dominant narratives, the one that, uh, you know, our mothers, grandmothers, society, church, mosques, and so on, uh, tell us about it, where motherhood is, is uh, unconditional love. Um, it's, uh, we don't expect any struggle in it, uh, at all or, or loneliness. Um, uh, a mother should be happy just because she is a mother. And uh, those who are not mothers even are, are seen as if they are less than mothers. Like in Islam, for example, you know, the paradise is under the foot of mothers. So what about those women who don't want to be mothers or can't be mothers? So all of these questions were there when I thought about the dominant narrative. And, uh, uh, and in order to write, I mean, if you are a writer, you don't really feel fascinated with ideas. Ideas do not attract me. Metaphors and language attract me more. And this is why I explored motherhood in this book in different ways, reading literature, different voices, that speak to me about the marginalized motherhood, the motherhood out of um, the uh, dominant uh, narrative of motherhood. Uh, and you can find it in literature, but you can find it also in medical books and records of uh, domestic crimes. When we read about a woman who can have kids, it's like, wow, she is exceptional, uh, or, or she is not a, a good mother, or she is, not, or she is sick. 
and so on. So, but in this literature, you can hear these marginalized uh, voices that are speaking about the struggle within motherhood. And in order to explore this, I went on to uh, to, to see uh, photography, and I might talk about this later. Um, thank you so much. That was good. <laughs> Sorry, I thought it would be a book. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> for um, inviting me, and it's also an honor to be um, here on this panel with you. Um, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, my book, Experiments in Imagining Otherwise. And I guess um, broadly, what this book attempts to do is to make a case um, about the potency of the imagination. So I was really, when I was kind of writing this book, really interested in the political moment that we find ourselves um, in, which is defined by discourses of kind of like stasis and impasse and a kind of stuckness um, that seems specific to this contemporary moment. And so this book is about, and, and my research more broadly, is about um, using the imagination, which I understand as a, um, a process that brings that which does not previously exist into being, um, as a kind of um, mode um, of thinking um, that might help us aid materialist struggle. So that, so that might help us um, kind of get unstuck. Um, and for me, I really resonated with what you were saying about language because I feel like so much of the the feeling of impasse is created by discourse and is created about um, is created by the way we speak about political life at um, any given moment and you know the kind of like governing structures um, of the world and so what I was trying to do with this book was be playful, um, provide kind of prompts, provide a collaborative experience for my readers that might um, see, might get them to see the imagination as more than just a subjective, um, personalized experience. I was really interested in this idea of like, um, how might the imagination be expanded, collectively owned, collectively utilized um, for the purposes of uh, um, sustaining kind of political movements or grassroots. Um, forms of political organizing and so this book looks at like I guess the world as it is like all the modes of like um, dispossession that govern it and it tries to I guess put a break in um, those kinds of narratives. Um, I'm going to read from uh, the beginning of the book which hopefully outlines uh, my method or what I was trying to do um, and I also want to say obviously that um, my where I kind of situate myself as a writer and my coming to politics is through a kind of black feminist um, genealogy. And so there are lots of traces of that in here. And I talk about images and I talk about, um, I guess, the effective kind of like lingerings of photographs of archival material and how that might also um, be a route through which we think about um, the past, present and future, not as distinct temporal regimes, but as things that encroach on one another and things that um, are co-constitutive, basically. Um, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> I'm just going to read now from the beginning of the book. I hold, like those before me, that experiments can and do fail. I am trying to make an argument for the otherwise. Not otherwise as in over here, come find me, or a small black dot that recedes as I approach. Not that thing that is obscured and needs to be unobscured. Not a smudge or an absence or an entity to be owned or conquered. The future is no one's property. No need to shackle it. Not otherwise as in the political horizon awaits, otherwise as in a firm embrace of the unknowable. The unknowable as in a well of infinity I want us to fall down together. Otherwise, the future is now. And all those political promises we make to one another, 
all the wishing and hoping and earnest, say it three times like a spell, wishing and hoping, wishing and hoping, wishing and hoping, all the leaps from the edges of bridges and mountaintops, all the reaching for and around, all the drug taking and sex everywhere we should not. Well, that is common because there are also um, individual guilt. I mean, um, it's about really uh, having this image of uh, a perfect mother. So if, if you are surrounded by this image of what this uh, perfect mother is, and you can uh, be this perfect mother, you will feel guilty all the time. Uh, there is a guilt of, of actually being separated from the infant. I mean, separated and letting him go into the world with all of its dangers and uh, politics and uh, in, environmental issues and everything. Uh, but but also um, having a child with any issue, any medical issue, any mental uh, health issue, impel uh, uh, feeling of of guilt uh, more. So my question was, how can we at least understand the feeling of guilt or eliminate it or deal with it? Uh, and I think it's by uh, discussing this imperfect uh, image of mothers that is. Uh, giving to us from religion, uh, society, um, uh, family as an institution, and so on. Um, I mean, I, I don't think uh, a mother, mother, she should do her best and to give the love she can, but, but we are different. And, and uh, we are giving even our love in different ways and so on. So I think touching all this was, for me, was, was kind of reconciliation with a feeling of death. Because yeah. you say at the end that uh, the book is at least partly an attempt to understand uh, use of your son. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and I, I was just thinking of, you know, as some, I mean, I, I'm not a mother, but I'm thinking of how I, this resonated with me in different ways. So it's, yes. it's also the other way around, right? Yeah. <laughs> this before that um, uh, I gave this book as a gift to my mother when it first came out um, and um, and the next week I, I went to her place to, to for lunch and and she was really mad uh, she's like why did you give me this book what are you trying to say um, uh, and it was, she was like uh, because I, it was partly saying you know I know that it's a hard it's a hard thing to be a mother yes. um and I think I think it was unsettling for her to to have a book that unsettles her yes. her own identity of herself as a mother uh so there's an interesting guilt happening in both me recognizing it and she rejecting it but also in me recognizing that she had to live up to that standard all her life um and many other things Bastien. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I really love that question. I think um, with the the part about the general strike, I guess what I was, in asking the question about the mood of the general strike, I was trying to think about all those times in my own life and in the lives of other people that I 
kind of like love and organize with um you know these moments of like the sit-in or the strike or these moments where we come together to like organize or strategize why did those um temporally feel expansive why does it feel like lots more is made possible in the the meeting room or on the picket line um and i was trying to i guess with that um capture that feeling and capture that moment because i think that in a world um kind of governed by hegemonic structures, not only do they sit on your imagination, they sit on your sense of um, what it is possible to demand for yourself and others. And so um, in trying to use language to, to investigate, I guess, the mood of the general strike, what I was trying to say is that in these moments, something has changed in the doing, that, that maybe um, we clear a space for transformative gender relations to, to come into play. Maybe we clear a space for us to think about our futures or our pasts. And in a way, I think um, both of our books are, are asking the same question. It's like, what do we owe to one another? And that's also a question about, you know, the, one that might inspire guilt, but it's also a question about responsibility. Um, and I see, I guess, the same kind of responsibilities like um, they're exercised in those spaces. Um, yeah, and so for me, it was it was about it, it was about finding a way to um, give voice to the that break that I feel where um, suddenly, even though there are all of these narratives about um, how the world is, how it will be, how it continues to be, we we create these little pockets where other things come into view, um, and that's a kind of like linguistically, I think that's a, a beautiful thing to try and like cordon off from. Um, dispossession or exploitation which you know defines how we live mm -hmm. i love that feeling at that point also about a break where you feel differently mm -hmm. i mean i think what was amazing about the strike was also um and related to this point about how stifling institutions are is that the strike created a space to also be different with our, our students mm -hmm. and with each other that i think was such a big i mean even the strike can be quite institutional and that this is how you do it these are the mm -hmm. rules but there is something so transformative about feeling differently in the same institutional space that was amazing. And yeah, kind of connects this point about the institution versus this ability to feel something else that then stays with you. For yeah. And I, I think um, feeling is a kind of like feminist knowledge as well. I think it's often in like materialist discourse, I guess, um, really dismissed, but we know from, you know, Audre Lorde, others that feeling actually is um really can be the basis of impetus can be the basis of action and is the you know the basis of action um we had also we were thinking a lot about both of those books i mean they're, they're actually really beautiful books on so many levels but also something about the form so uh for folks who haven't read the books yet so i mean lola's book is is just so pretty like there's like pictures there's like crossings it's a strange mix of forms etc um and you you have a, a music list um you speak about like there's like poetic language there's images there's all sorts of playing with the form and Iman as well uh the book uh is a, is a very eclectic mix of um I don't, it's difficult for me to put it in a genre even, you know, like uh, your use of photography. And I would love to hear more about the image you put because it's uh, such a powerful image. Um, 
and uh, you're writing from the margins of, uh, you know, reading Elizabeth Costello, Cotia's novel, you're writing from uh, a personal journal, you're writing from dreams um, and poetry. So you're both using really interesting forms um, that kind of takes us outside traditional forms of writing. And I guess also these are the projects of the different presses. So Kaifate and Hajar Press are also, I guess, invested in this kind of new form of writing. Uh, so if you can, we'll say a few words about this. Uh. <laughs> um, I think to me, um, playing around with I, I think about I guess in like uh, feminism, what's happening right now is uh, a real kind of speculative term, turn, or in like cultural studies. And I, I think of like the speculative turn or, or the turn towards fragmentary forms of writing as a kind of like disavowal of these grand narratives of you know history or of criticism or of discourse. You know, um, and that to me seems playful and exciting, and also. I'm really against, in my own life, chronology and um, totality. And something as expansive as the imagination cannot be captured in a book. Like, if I was going to try and do that, it would be free. There, there are so many other... There are already in trying to present something as a book, there are so many constraints that you put on it. And so I thought, formally, how might I show my playfulness or how might I show the experimental na um, nature of what I'm trying to do? Um, and I think that that leaves a lot of space for failure as well. Um, I think the, the, the first line is I hold that, you know, experiments kind of do fail because I was very, I wanted to be very clear that, that it was a collaborative thing. I wasn't putting forward necessarily an argument that had to be accepted by the readers, you know, in its entirety. And I think um, also um, in Mon's book, like what I really loved about it was the way that you moved so seamlessly from photography to dreams. It was a real, there, you, you really trust your reader to go along, you know, with the images and, and the places that you take them. And I think that that's also a kind of, that's a kind of faith that you exercise as a writer. Yeah, but I, I just want to say one thing before I, uh, uh, I think about it. It really, like book industry in general does not encourage going um, away from the, uh, the, the basic uh, genre. So, especially novel. I mean, when we talk about genres, it seems like novels are even more important, is the most important genre at the moment. So, when you get an invitation from people who are experimenting arts and, and ideas, and they are not asking you uh, to do. Uh, to write in, in any um, particular form, this gives you uh, a freedom too. So I mean, I didn't think of writing with a short book and go to my publisher, mm -hmm. uh, but who established this a wonderful series called Kaifate, and you can check their books in English. So they published a book of Hassan Wardani, How to this book, uh, among others. So um, this invitation, is also important in this moment. So uh, um, uh, this is what I want to say first. So back to the form. In general, really, I don't think any writer choose a form for starting. I think what we have usually is you have a question and you go uh, drifting. Uh, and sometimes you control yourself because of the genre. 
because this is a poetry book, because this is an academic article, because blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, so drifting uh, and tracing your questions, each question takes you to the other, is, is uh, what I experienced with this, uh, with this book. Well, talking about photography, for example, just to uh, share how I... Um, so, I just do this, or what? Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, coming to photography, for example, I am not a photographer, I'm even a bad photographer in my everyday life. Uh, but I came across this um, photograph of uh, a, a sealed mother uh, carrying her uh, infant. And actually, I thought at the beginning that it's an. Uh, I think you can do it now, right? PowerPoint is up. Sorry, one second. Oh, sorry. So uh, I thought at the beginning that it's an Arab woman uh, wearing a niqab, carrying. Uh, yes, this is a photo. And I saw this in the internet first without knowing anything, but it took my attention that the mother is seeing uh, a song uh, carrying here. Uh, uh, infant and and thinking about it, uh, searching about the picture, I found out the whole thing about Victorian photography, uh, which took place from late nineteenth century until maybe the nineteen twenties, where um, in order to get a, a good picture of a child, a little child, uh, uh, and to show him or her, you know, sitting still and uh, and uh, in the in the center, uh, the mothers had had to see themselves uh, like this with curtain or you know um, sheet or whatever and and sit and hold the baby to feel safe uh, until the photographer takes the picture and then i found out that um uh, Nagler, uh, an italian uh, artist collected more than 1000 pictures of as she called uh, the, the uh, theme or the, the collection um, uh, Hidden Mother Photography. And then I became so fascinated with it as a metaphor. And this was the solution. I think really after the first chapter, I was going, maybe, I mean, if I went straight, I would write a very academic work about uh, feminism and motherhood, complaining bitterly how uh, <laughs> different uh, discourses of uh, feminists don't address motherhood from within. They are in a fight all the time with something. Something. I mean, it's a great fight. We are behind it with institutions, with patriarchy, with great. But what about motherhood from within? Like, what about this feeling of loneliness or guilt or or addressing even individual experiences, talking about uh, uh, um, their own motherhood? So. What I'm trying to say in terms of form that when you are drifting and you are a little bit brave to write something that doesn't make sense, I mean, you have to have this, <laughs> this feeling. <laughs> and you go over um, uh, 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 something on different medium like photography and the hidden mother uh, metaphor. Uh, you start to think about it uh, differently. So, what is selected, documented, or displayed, or you know, mothers in our even private albums, for example, and what what does it take to create a perfect mother in photography, uh, and so on and so forth. So, uh, this metaphor uh, made me actually also ask the core question 
uh, about how how do we see of other people mothers mm -hmm. uh, so and and i came up with a feeling that we don't see actually other people mothers they are uh, almost invisible because they are mothers because we know the biological re relations we um, we expect a particular relations between a mother and son or a mother and daughter right so being invisible uh, it takes me actually also uh, to uh, to think about what is uh, excluded from this uh, uh, dominant narrative in photography. And, and when you, uh, you go this way, oh, I want to go over this quickly. When you go this way, you, you see that there is actually invisible mother, and this is a dominant narrative in photography. But there are also, uh, when something interrupts this, this dominant narrative, you come up with what I call in the book an instrumental mother, a mother of a famous, uh, you know, a musician or a, a mother who her son killed her when he grew older. I mean, so you are having a second look about this mother who is not uh, the, the invisible one, who is recognized by a story. A story bigger than here. Either it's here on a story or a collective story. And when we comes to uh, types, which I try to point to, uh, you might see something iconic or strange or contradictory or dramatic uh, in the picture that that gives you the energy to have a second look. Otherwise, you don't have to have a second look. And of course, all of us know uh, new, I guess these uh, iconic pictures that are connected to uh, 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 historical events and, and, uh, and uh, um, issues that bigger than uh, the individual uh, mother. But drifting more made me think actually that uh, it does, iconic mother can't remain an iconic mother. And my example was the Palestinian mother, for example. You see tons of pictures of Palestinian mothers, each of them might become an iconic for a few months or a year. But after a while, they go back to this invisibility. They become also just a Palestinian mother. What we expected from a Palestinian mother will be these things that I just showed. So back to the form in two sentences. <laughs> I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think we don't give ourselves, I'm talking about myself as a writer, the, the necessary freedom actually when we write, because when you get involved in a genre without realizing you respect it, you respect it, I mean, you, you, um, uh, you, you, you make your small revolution against it, but it's still there. But, but with this kind of questions, um, uh, maybe we have to give ourselves the freedom to trace our questions wherever it is. There's also um, something you say in the book about um, this thing that Bath says about the punctum, the like yes. the kind of sensory experience that um, and subjective experience that someone has from looking at an image. Mm -hmm. And I, I that really like resonated with me because I also write about image and image in my book. And I'm and in my PhD, I'm also writing about um, images. And I'm struck, I was really struck by that because it seems to perfectly 
that kind of theorization perfectly summarizes this idea of like why why do you, why when you come across an image um do you feel something or do you feel like an echo or you feel like you're in the image like you took it somebody you knew took it um and I, I think that's also an interesting feature of um trying to be experimental with form to say that you know narrative and storytelling is not distinct from you know the visual not distinct from other realms of like art making right to to um get rid of this kind of neat um disciplinary um separation of those things um and so yeah i really love text over image i love the the combination of the two and and what you can discover in writing about a photograph thank you no <laughs> yeah and um just to i mean i think there's so much there that also relates to what you mentioned, Iman, about the archive. I mean, how do what is in the archive and what's not in the archive and how searching not just for text or the written also opens up such different ways of kind of thinking about history. Um, but maybe another question, I think it's come up already a few times, but uh, this question of feminism and feminist writing that obviously is also really uh, here in both texts. and. Um, Lola, you have this amazing quote in your book where you say, I feel embarrassed when I say feminism and people don't think revolution in service of every living thing. And um, Iman, similarly, you write really beautifully about what, what you just mentioned, which is what is left out of feminist writing. So you say, until feminist theories take account of the rage, violence, and frustration inherent in motherhood, you still have to narrate your own experience or learn to take refuge in a narrative that will help you see that you're not alone and reflecting also on what I said earlier I mean the kind of dominant image of, of motherhood and mother-daughter relations for example speaking from experience is also so tightly constricted within this very neat thing that there should not be these bad feelings or these negative kind of overwhelming emotions and there's something amazing about reading that actually it's okay to feel that way in these types of relationships and I wanted to ask what, what yeah, what feminist writing means to you or how you think about feminism in this in this contemporary moment as well? Good question. I think um, <laughs> <I'm excited. laughs> I think for me, um, a question about feminism is always a question about um, genealogy or, or the way that you come to politics. And I think, like speaking for myself, feminism is so intrinsic to how I understand what myself in relation to others the world in general that I don't feel in my writing unless I'm specifically talking about you know feminist theory that I have to perform an, that understanding because it is so embedded in everything I do I feel like everything I write comes from that that um, place and so for me feminism I think of feminism as a kind of method a way um, a methodology that we can use to think about our freedoms and the freedoms of other people and I keep it um, kind of expansive because I want as many people as possible um, to come under feminist care and protection. And I think right now in, in the contemporary moment in England as well, we're seeing a lot of um, uh, a re return to biology, like return um, a return to essentialism, which I think you also reject quite a lot in your book in terms of um, understanding what motherhood is and or what motherhood can be. Um, and so for me, feminist writing has to come from um, a, a deep political commitment to transformation of the world, and be it through any number of kind of like methods or be it through any number of um, avenues or routes. Um, and only, only that kind of, I, I think the best writing, the best feminist writing that I read is 
um, one that kind of moves me or one that makes me pick up an idea and then put it down. Um, I think that's the purpose of um, a, a, a method that continues to grow or continues to kind of like generate generate ideas. And that's, I guess, why I'm so against um, the historical view of feminist movements or even a, a historicized version of um, feminist events because that erases or um, turns dissent into a kind of absence. It removes any sense that um, in order to create this kind of idea of linearity everything else kind of falls to the wayside and then you capitulate to this idea of like center and periphery and so I think of um yeah feminist as an a feminism as a kind of amorphous blob that continues to grow and change and be challenged and dragged in um several directions but also as a site of contestation as well there is when I say feminism I know that there are other people under the umbrella with whom I share no you know, political ethic. And that for me is a frustration. Um, but that's what keeps me coming back to wanting to like make an argument or define or, or get some sense of what we can do with this thing rather than thinking of it as a kind of abstract um, theoretical project only. <laughs> yeah, I, I really agree with you. Um, I have something to add would be, um, <clears throat> I'm, uh, <clears throat> I am hoping also that uh, feminism will create a room for individual voices and will address it. Um, and uh, by the way, creating this room for individual voices doesn't mean to start complaining about being mothers because there is misunderstanding also in feminism. So when when in some books at least I read talking about being a mother uh, from a, an individual experience becomes a complaining about being a mother, uh, a, a complaining about uh, losing identity to be a, a, your own identity to be a mother, for example, and so on. I don't see it this way. I really think. Um, it's 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 respecting uh, uh, individual narrative about uh, motherhood, not in terms of not to uh, be sympathetic with women because they are struggling with their motherhood, but to help women actually understand what they are going through. So uh, if if no one told you ever that uh, guilt is part of motherhood for these reasons, uh, you will be eating by guilt. Uh, and especially if you have any uh, special issue with a child with mental uh, issues, for example, so it's like I'm responsible for it. I mean, uh, my lifestyle, my my uh, my religion. <laughs> my I mean, like not being religious. <laughs> some some women think this way it's punishment, right? So um, so you will be like just uh, left uh, alone. Uh, to, to struggle with this kind of guilt. Well, understanding is, is much better than sympathy. I mean, um, that's all I want to say. So creating this room to uh, to uh, include individual voices and, and not to think about feminism all the time as a, a way to create um, uh, theories and not also a way to fight institutions. Mm -hmm. it, there is something else about feminism and not just about motherhood. Uh, it, it's a way to understand uh, experiences, mm -hmm. right? So 
I guess also, I mean, when you were talking, I was reminded of, of your other book, uh, um, uh, so is, is an Egyptian writer and she wrote one novel, right? And, 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 and then committed suicide. And uh, um, age of 25. at the age of 25, and, and, and Iman is following her. And I'm one, I was wondering, I mean, when we're thinking about feminism and guilt, but also as a writer, um, was, is, was there also a, a sense of guilt of, of, you know, how did we let her do that as writers, you know, because you speak a lot in the book about, you know, her being a woman and, you know, how... The, the more famous uh, literary giants in Egypt have tried to like have different positions. Yeah. Um, so there's so here it's also a very individual question, but it's also it's almost like a question of collective responsibility as well. Um, and engaging like thinking through because when you're saying it's not about thinking individualistically, it's about thinking about the individual collectively, uh, which I think is a is a different story. Um, anyway, yeah. I mean, it's a really beautiful question. I mean, the book is not out in English yet, but anyway, I talk a little bit about, <laughs> about it. Um, I think I had a question about the woman who committed suicide, by the way, in 1963, so even before I was born. Uh, uh, but I, 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 my question about here was question about individuality, actually. And the individuality of the 50s and 60s in Egypt under Jamal Abdel Nasser regime and in the peak of Arab nationalism and and, uh, and the formula uh, that was given to every single female writer. If you want to be a good writer, you have to talk a little bit maybe about yourself, but to connect your issue with a grand narrative about nation, uh, colonialism, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, and it is a yet only novel was actually not not uh, typical of, of this era at all. And this is why uh, the, the, the novel was not published. Uh, so the question about the woman and her individuality came actually from my own individuality as a young writer when I read her novel for the first time in 1993. And I'm thinking I inherited, and it is there, I inherited this, uh, you know, grand narrative about everything. Uh, and and in, in order to just not fit and to survive, uh, you have to accept yani, lots of shit, you know, like, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this means I'm so comfortable. <laughs> That's good news. <laughs> so, so the question about individuality and here, yes, there is this feeling of guilt about this woman who had potential to be a great writer, in my opinion, at least, uh, but she committed suicide because of what? And, and it's also a, a, a responsibility, as, as we said, this collective responsibility to understand the historical moment, because reading the past is really important to understand what's going on around us. I don't think that is an exception. I think, for example, some many Arab, not just Arab women, some women writers, young women writers, are going through similar things in different environments. Today, everywhere, I mean, I live in North America and I know it's not just as a stereotype about Arab women. Uh, a young Canadian female writer would, would have uh, lots of challenges. Also now. <laughs> so I, I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. 
I think we're, we're unfortunately, uh, we don't have enough time, but we're going to open it up for questions. Um, I just want to thank you again both so much. Uh, it's just been such a lovely conversation and I'm sure it's like for sort of tools. Um, and, uh, and now I guess we're open it up for questions. I will take questions from the room first and then we'll take questions from uh, the online uh, attendees. Uh, so, for this wonderful um, conversation, I feel very lucky to be able to witness it. Um, I I feel lucky also because rare is the mother who talks about the difficulties, the guilt, um, and rare is. Um, also, the writer who'll talk about the contradictions of a movement, etc. So, my question is really about fear and courage. How did you, in your writing, overcome what I imagine uh, must be a process of fear, which is another? So, what were your experiments in feeling to overcome the fear of writing? How do you garner? the courage to do what you each beautifully do. We'll take a few more questions. Uh, any other questions? No. Yeah. I just wanted to ask about um, the form a bit more because I'm really interested in this. It's very seems very different to a lot of the stuff we read. Um, and it's something I'm like interested in pursuing, but it's hard to know how to reconcile a more creative form with the academic standards and expectations of writing in um, this sort of field. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's just like to do with having an open publisher or maybe not aiming at just like an academic audience. Um, but yeah, just speaking a bit more on that would be really interesting. Uh, so we have Susie and Avira. Thank you so much. Um, my question is also about feelings and about the time needed in certain intervals for feelings to surface and reconcile. I was really struck, Iman, about your comment of being a mother in a place which wasn't yet home. And um, I, like Aisha, had, had had that same experience. And there's a period in which you are trying to reconcile the world through your feelings, but your feelings haven't had time to settle. They're still bubbling. And, um, you know, what do we do with that interval when the feelings are still bubbling and we're still out of kilter? And, you know, how, how do we use feelings as a, as a way of finding our path? Uh, thank you for the very riveting generative conversation so far. I have a question to try and, I guess, put the two books in conversation, um, thinking about imagination, abolition, and motherhood. So, so far, the question about motherhood and guilt of the guilt that emerges from motherhood is obviously a lot of it is tied to the individualized nature of it and the biological assumption about motherhood. And I'm really interested in what you both think about the potential of motherhood under debates about not just prison abolition, but family abolition as well. When we untether motherhood from, or imagine a future where motherhood uh, becomes untethered from the biological, but also um, from the nuclear family unit and becomes communal collective. So I'm thinking about um, 
Sophie Lewis's kind of work on family abolition, but also thinking about um, Iman, the picture that you uh, shared about Palestinian mothers, thinking about Joy James's work on the captive maternal and how caretaking um, is this like gendered labor that happens under kind of anti-Black state violence. And how can we imagine um, otherwise in the sense that Lola uses motherhood outside of gender, outside of state violence in a kind of utopic horizon? Yeah, thank you. Um, do you want to take those questions before we move to the online? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. I'm interrupting this event to tell you about another awesome LSE podcast that we think you'd enjoy. LSE IQ asks social scientists and other experts to answer one intelligent question, like, why do people believe in conspiracy theories? Or, can we afford the super rich? Come check us out. Just search for LSE IQ wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the event. Um, yeah, I can, um, I guess, speak to the question about form and the last one as well. Um, so I think for, for me, what, what enabled this book to, to come out in the, the form that it's in is that I um, was approached to collaborate with the publishers that, was, that were open to that. And I think that, you know, questions about permissibility, what's permissible, is also a question about what like props up the publishing industry, right? Like that is a money-making endeavor. And so mainstream publishers aren't gonna take risks on specific kinds of books or books that make a particular argument or books that play with fragmentation. So you, you have to be strategic in terms of like where the work is gonna be situated and that places certain limits on who's going to be able to read it, etc. But that wasn't something I was really, um, concerned with when I was writing it. I, I think I was concerned with how much can I do and how much can I play? Because I had to really undo my own internalized sense of what a book should be and what a book should look like. There was there were many different kind of forms of, of this book. And then I think I got to a point where I was like, oh no, I can just not do that. Or I can do anything that I want and I can come up retrospectively with an argument for it. Um, and that's a real kind of, that, that's a lovely like playfulness to be able to to have in any text and also I think even within the strictures of you know institutional writing or academic writing there are ways we see you know multiple examples to insert basically I think in, into that kind of writing um, to say you know I understand the limits of, of that are being placed on me but I'm trying my best I want you to know reader that I'm trying my best to subvert them or I'm trying my best to um, do something different in this space you know um, and to the um, to Ubera's question, which I think is a really great question, I, I was thinking about that in relation to um, uh, your um, book, Imam, because you talk so much about like how the instrumental mother also becomes standardised, and I was thinking about um, how how the instrumental mother is often a mother who is in pain, right? We see, you know, in uh, different national contexts, like the Palestinian mother, for example, is one that's always grieving, one that's always like kind of crying out and then becomes a kind of symbol for the nation, et cetera. Um, and I guess what I understand um, uh, motherhood to mean is completely untethered from um, biology and completely untethered from the state. And so um, I guess in that Sophie Lewis sense, we mother each other by creating spaces outside of um, the kind of arms of the state or outside of systems of dis um, dispossession in which we care for each other in kind of communal ways. And so I don't see it as a kind of 
um, something that is to come, that, that motherhood that, that comes after anti-blackness or comes after um, uh, national liberation, for example. I see it very much as something that's happening in and against, something that is like prefigurative of the things that we um, wish for and the things that we would like to see. Um, and I guess, I, I think it's interesting that family abolition is, is coming up and is something that is so disputed in specific left circles because it makes sense to me and I think it makes sense that a lot of like black um, feminists who have always already been outside of national terms but also have um, because of the you know capitalism and the state have always already had um, different modes of care when your family has been called you know degenerative or not a real family or somehow a failure by the state and discourses you find other ways to to do that mothering and to do that care um so yeah so um for me i'm always thinking about uh i guess motherhood as a mode of um responsibility but also uh how do we take it outside of the very private um nature of it we do that one by open like speaking openly about feelings but two by refusing to depoliticize motherhood which is what we see in so many kind of like i think western personal memoirs about mothers becomes so so much is displaced onto the child so guilt shame all of these things that are a product of the way we live become the child's fault or become situated in that kind of relational bond instead of saying we could do this differently we could you know I, I I needn't think about this relation through sacrifice it's the world that makes me think about that so what do we do we, we turn our energies towards creating um diff a, a different set of conditions through which this relation might exist you know so. oh <laughs> all right um I mean, your answer really is a last question. Beautifully. Uh, so, um, talking about courage and exploring feelings or writing it, I think really when it comes to writing, at least in my own experience, I feel it's urgency yeah. more than courage. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, I mean, the world will uh, will be upside down, but you want to say this sentence, and you can't understand the feeling without writing it down. So writing here is a uh, kind of enlightenment uh, because it's not like I know what I want to say, so I'm writing. It's I'm writing about feeling guilty. So while I'm writing, I understand it much better. So this urgency is maybe what uh, what what we might call from uh, outside uh, courage um, about the academic form or not. Um, I have a funny story about my dissertation. It was about, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are a great student. <laughs> All right. So when I wrote my dissertation, it was about um, the narrative, uh, different images of America and Arabic travel literature since the 19th century until 2006. So, uh, and I, I remember the last draft before I submit to my supervisor, I took it and I took all of the beautiful passages from it out and then I handed it in <laughs> because I knew very well that if I give it to him as it is uh, despite the fact is that I was keen like any grad student these days or that days <laughs> to talk about you know speak back and it read and <laughs> all of the hot stuff in the market <laughs> but I knew he would mark these paragraphs and tell me take it out mm -hmm. because this is an academic work 
right? Being a writer is different. And as I said, having opportunity to be encouraged uh, to write out of the mainstream publishing houses, right? Because I'm not sure if we took this box to uh, just an ordinary publishing house, it would be like, what is this exactly? But but the invitation, the invitation here, I'm using it as a metaphor, not the, not the physical one, like write a book for us. The invitation for a, a, a narrative, it's like when someone is telling you to, to tell him a story, so about blah, 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 or what, about something that is in your mind now. So it's, a, it's an encouragement to, to start uh, tell, uh, telling uh, a story. So this is really uh, something we should all support. Uh, I mean, these books are, you know, uh, coming from individual uh, hard work without an institution backing it up or supporting it. Uh, talking about <coughs> giving birth in another land. So being a mother away from your mother tongue. I think about it this way because language is very important. Mm -hmm for me, uh, it's really, it's like, I mean, if you give birth in your own uh, home, uh, if I give birth in, in Egypt, for example, all of the oral traditions actually, I would uh, uh, fancy are not there anymore. They disappeared, so we have to be aware of it too. So I was nostalgic or searching for something that doesn't exist back home. The, the percentage of women uh, going for C-section now is huge in the third world, in the entire third world, not just Egypt. Uh, and there is a lack of connection with the oral traditions and the, the, the modern institution of hospitals and clinics and so on are not there yet. So, so women are left in this gap between both, I don't know, they are uh, suffering really uh, uh, because of, uh, of this, pivotal moment between two uh, states. Um, so giving birth and, 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 and where you are immigrant is like being an, a, a person with accent. It's like two languages are, are trying to present themselves in your voice all the time, right? So I think about it this way. So I remember, since I like stories, <laughs> I remember when I gave birth to my first son, uh, but of course, in pain and, and agonies that you see in movies, uh, and suddenly this mother figure came from nowhere and started to tell me, Iman, uh, good girl, push, 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 push. <laughs> and I remember very well just feeling comfortable because, I mean, I can tell you now, this woman was actually with accent. Uh, and, and, and somehow the way she looks, um, I don't know, I feel suddenly connected uh, with someone that I want him to admire me. I want him, I want to make him happy <laughs> so that I can push. <laughs> so, so there is, yeah, there is something missing when, when you leave your motherhood in different language. Uh, and and I, uh, when I speak to my uh, kids, for example, they used to make fun of my accent, like literally. Like I would say pizza, right? <laughs> so you speak to them in, in, uh, in English with accent, and they speak to you in Arabic with accent and, and so on. So I really think this area is very fascinating, and I, I, I hope to read about it. I hope that some writers or women would address it in their writings. And, and I mean, I'm taking accent as an example, but there are so many layers to, to talk about there.
you want to maybe say your question quickly and then we take the online? Uh, I can speak loud. Hi. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say the first time I read um, an excerpt from your book on Machzen, I think, I almost cried because I was like, I'm not crazy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not the only one who's feeling this. Uh, I'm not alone. But I, um, um, I want to talk about, or like maybe has for to see if you can say something about fatherhood, actually, because I feel like. Motherhood is um, a very lonely affair, especially in the developed world because of the whole nuclear family thing. And let's just isolate ourselves from the village and do this thing. But then it's the mother who ends up paying the price. And because um, so suddenly you get thrown in the deep as a mother to become a mother and let go of everything else you are writer uh, you know intellectual any any thinking part in your brain, just like put, shut that down and you know be someone else and uh, materialize as a mother, but the father doesn't materialize as a father uh, for a while. And it takes years and years for them to come around. And even when they want to, in institutions around you, certainly maybe in Canada, it's a bit more progressive, but here in the UK, at least back when I had my first child, it was, the there is no such thing as, the, this, the institutions are all coalesce for you to become a mother. Take maternity leave, come back flexible hours, that's it, you're a mother. And the father, no, you're not a father. You have to be back at work straight away. So suddenly you're like in this, even if you're not, you're in the most progressive of a partnership with a partner, uh, suddenly it turns into this like thing from the early 20th century. It's like, I'm a full-time mom and you're the breadwinner. And I don't think, and, and that's why I totally agree that feminism completely, for me, this is the single most effective thing in inequality is, the, is this. It's like the fathers are not fathers and mothers are only mothers. And this is, and it changes everything. And undoing this is changes by itself will change so much. It will take time. So I'm just interested in both of you, actually, because my experience as a mother is here in the UK. And I also think about um, uh, Black British mothers um, who are also just you know, mainly, you know, kind of encouraged to be mothers and nothing else by the, all the institutions here. Um, and um, just in writing in general, how is that explored, the fatherhood, the just like the missing fatherhood, basically, it's not there. Uh, we'll take a few more questions from online so that we, uh, we gather them. Anna, do you have other questions? Yeah, there's a couple. So uh, one is from... Duha, and she uh, is currently working on research centering around motherhood, specifically with migrant mothers. And she recognizes the power motherhood offers for women in such contexts. So what are your comments on motherhood when it is being used as a position of power? Can it be as such? And can motherhood be an empowering mechanism? Finally, uh, can we discuss motherhood and write on it without making claims for mothers? Um, yeah, there was also another question about, we've talked about feminism and kind of guilt within the realm of motherhood, but um, more broadly interested in how these two intersect with each other, um, with the rise of feminism and the notion of women kind of having it all, what kind of guilt or does that place any extra guilt on mothers that they have to be 
more than just a mother they have to be a working mother as well so yeah how feminism and guilt kind of intersect hi um thank you for your book um i really love it and it's in my heart and i have really um felt myself represented um in a book before this and i wanted to talk to you about the journal section um, and really um, how that came about, how you made uh, the decision to um, include that and um, obviously not specifically, but how you made your choices about um, omission and inclusion because it's over like a 10 year period. Thank you. One more question. <laughs> okay, thank you. I feel very uh, sad because um, mothers are all the time tired. We are all the time tired. Um, in I don't know where I lose the girl I was and the woman I am. And uh, even if I don't live anymore with my children, with my son, I feel sometimes so guilty and uh, I don't know how to grow up, became more uh, older than I am, as I am, as a mother, you know, because I'm a writer too and a poet. And uh, this is a very, um, I'm looking all the time for my paradise. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. You do it, you do it. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Neil, I think guys, we should sit outside after <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I actually, I was very interested in talking and in, in the note about fatherhood and motherhood. I think it's difficult to be a father. And I think it's difficult actually to be a man. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it's not a joke. I think feminists should address, uh, feminists should not just, shouldn't just address motherhood in different ways or widen the scope of discussing motherhood uh, uh, and, and include what I call what the individual <laughs> <laughs> or, or excluding voices yeah, yeah. or whatever, but also fatherhood. It's not, I mean, it's, it, I, I don't think about feminism as, um, um, as work that meant to help the woman only. I never actually thought about it this way. Maybe it's my problem, but, but I think if anyone would talk about fatherhood, fatherhood and institution, how, how the society is expecting particular things from fathers versus mothers, it would be feminism. Um, a, a migrant mother and uh, empowering. Um, I maybe I didn't understand the question, so I leave it. Um, I'm sure you <laughs> you have uh, something to say about it. Uh, uh, again, again, I think guilt comes maybe from we work very hard as young women to have what we call identity, and we. Um, we assume that we have a solid, clear identity uh, in certain point, and then you become a mother. And becoming a mother, this crack 
It's a whole thing about identity, not just that the society is looking at you as a mother, but because you don't know yourself actually for a while at least, and and you are trying to uh, to look at all of the fragments again and to rearrange it to be a writer and mother, or to be an activist and mother, or working woman and mother, and and so on. Um, <clears throat> so guilt comes from. Uh, the ideal mother is a good example, is, is someone who is, is giving all the time, who sacrifices. While a person with, uh, with ambitious to, to understanding herself and the world and even to change it, is actually a person in the making. She is not a complete person to play a role of a mother outside. <laughs> Sometimes she is learning from uh, the, the kids. Sometimes she is making mistakes and recognizing it. So this room is, is very good to uh, create or to experience guilt or to understand it. Uh, so this is, I think, what I was trying to uh, talk uh, about uh, in the book. Uh, the diary section in my book, it is actually very difficult to write about personal experience uh, and, and uh, an experience with a child with, uh, with bipolar was not but it's not an easy experience to begin with, but talking about it was not talking about it, actually making other people around you know it. I never took, for example, a leave from university because of him or my husband. I think we were keen to keep it private. But I think Spivak um, had a great impact on me. This is not because Spivak is attractive now, because <laughs> really she had an impact on me. <laughs> when she was talking about uh, there is a difference between talking about oneself and about narrating one uh, um, experience. And, and I, I tried to understand very hard what does she mean. Uh, so it's not about talking about my experience with my son, but, but actually seeing it from within while writing. So the moral question would come here, like how can you write about your son, right? And especially, I wrote the book in Arabic, uh, even is, is, it makes it more difficult. So uh, I tried so many forms uh, before uh, selecting the, I mean, choosing the diary. And I felt the diary is my own uh, diary, that he is part of it, and he is not exploited in it. It's all the time how I feel, how what I learn, uh, the, my frustration. It's not exposing his, uh, you know, condition or, or his personality to um, to the readers. And my son now is uh, nineteen, and he read the book, of course. And um, uh, and he went through different feelings toward it. First one was, uh, how how come you know you write about me, <laughs> of course. But 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 later on, we had few conversations that. He actually understands himself through writing, reading my diaries. And sometimes he is so sweet to say, how come you went through all of this without you know, showing it to me? So, uh, so it's like, it's a learning experience. I'm not saying it's morally right or wrong, but I did my best to take the full responsibility of what I'm writing. I'm writing my diary in the end. And of course, it's not just my diary because you selected dreams from the I mean, there's lots of 
you select from 10 years period. So the writer job here is important also what to include and what not. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe to, to maybe just like touch on the um, the first and third question. I think as as you were talking about um, uh, fatherhood and the role of fatherhood, I was kind of thinking about how people are positioned, and I, I was thinking about like um, how queerness and queer theory give us maybe one route or one avenue of thinking about how we might at least at the level of like discourse escape the very like fixed positions of what it means to be a mother and what it means to be a father. Um, and I think I, I just keep thinking about how um, the structure of, you know, the nuclear family, and I think that the, the social reproductionists are like right in this respect, that the structure of the nuclear family means that there are specific responsibilities given to each and what you're coming, what you're coming against is an institution that is reaffirmed or trying to reify a specific role. And so it, it seems like in the absence of um, the, the full abolition of that structure that you're fixed in a certain position. And I'm thinking of um, queer theory and the histories of like mothers who have never um, existed within, you know, have never been legible to the state in that way, how they've mothered and thinking about like, Mother, mother, uh, mother as like a verb instead of an adjective and one that doesn't um, require you know, any biological connection, right? Because I think that because of patriarchy, um, fatherhood is a very limited, um, so little happens underneath that category, I think, in terms of relation. And so I'm thinking, as you were talking about what it would mean to give mother to everyone, right? Like, um, and not in a, a kind of, um, like, patronizing or, like, um, I guess, like spiritual way, in a, in a way that takes seriously that um, it seems like the role of the mother is a, a care and responsibility, but that should be everybody's role. And so how do we impress the need for that on everyone, I guess? And then to, to tie that to the, the second question, I think it's less important to think about the language of like empowerment or not, and more important to think about the set of conditions under which any given category emerges. So what makes a mother a mother? Where is she positioned in an economic and or political structure? And how do we escape that? I think that's a more kind of strategic question rather than thinking about the individual experiences of mothers who I'm sure some, you know, think of motherhood as completely great, no problems, others don't. I think our job as feminists is to kind of escape the binary that tells us that motherhood is either like eternal abundance or a place of lack, right? And to think um, about how we're positioned within that binary and to do what we can to alleviate like the pain, I think, that comes from um, uh, how we're positioned and how that stops us from being able to give the full our full selves and um, to do justice to what childhood should be. I think, you know, maybe it's ironic speaking as somebody who doesn't have a child, but I, I, I do have a family in some sense, like a, you know, a, a biological family in that sense. And so I, to me, I understand motherhood as a relational thing because I see the way mothers, I, I think children see the way their mothers um, cut themselves in order to to create a space for them um, and that's a pain that's shared both ways and so when we're exploring motherhood I think it's also important to yeah to think about it through this lens of like again returning to that question of what do we owe each other and in lieu of like what we can actually give each other how do we make space for what could be essentially how 
That was a really beautiful uh, conversation and a beautiful ending. Um, thank you so much. And just a quick reminder that both books are available outside if you'd like your own copy. But if you join me in thanking our amazing reading, and they will also be doing um, a book signing. So please do join us for that if you'd like a copy and to have a copy and would like to sign. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the LSE Events Podcast on your favorite podcast app and help other listeners discover us by leaving a review. Visit lse.ac.uk forward slash events to find out what's on next. We hope you join us at another LSE event soon.